Hello and welcome to the Wrestling Headlines World Night Raw Review. Giggles because I've got it all timed and everything and then I completely miss pressing the button. <laughs> so I've just stood there like, still got mute on, still got mute on. Oh my word, come on Matt. <laughs> anyway, hello and welcome to the Wrestling Headlines World Night Raw Review. My name is Matt Mayer aka Imp and I tried doing a red light for Raw and it just, I don't know, it, yeah, <laughs> my uh, brother worded it as a, looked, looked a bit red light districty. It's just, yeah, just... If for some reason the blue just works better. Anyway, no one, nobody cares. <laughs> Eva Marie has returned to Modern Night Raw. And uh, yeah, normally I go through like the social media and Twitter. I remember this time last week saying that there didn't seem to be anything really jumping out. And the same with NXT. There's just the kind of shows that maybe build it towards something. But however, I go onto Twitter and it seems to be the main massive discourse is Eve Marie returning to WWE and coming over to Modern Night Raw, seemingly. I'm assuming we won't be getting a video package on SmackDown, but we did get a video package thing tonight. And yeah, it's a... It's an, uh, it's a, it's an interesting one because of uh, the... It was no secret, Eve Marie wasn't the greatest technical wrestler in the world. But I personally, by the time they got her over to SmackDown... I thought they found an absolutely perfect character for her by the time she got to SmackDown. I loved her character on SmackDown. I thought it was fantastic. All these different reasons to not wrestle a match, all these different things going wrong and suddenly matches getting called off. It felt like it was... I don't know what it was really building to, but week to week, I, th- I kind of liked the character. <laughs> like, no, she's never going to like the world on five-star five matches. But you could get a ton of heat on her, I guess, like with one-time rain or something like that. Who knows if she's improved or to what level by getting to like where she is now? Because that was, what, five years ago that she was in WWE in that spot? It's been a fair bit of time. But I genuinely did like <laughs> what they were doing on SmackDown. And uh, yeah, then she's left and she's gone. It's been five years and now she comes back. Uh, seemingly a lot of the negativities because they've just recently released a load of talented women they seemingly had no spot for. Then they bring back Eva Marie, whose entire gimmick was essentially, uh, yeah, but uh, I, I, I'm not really as good as those guys, but the character was always coming up with reasons to hide it. And my assumption was once she can start to get into a situation where she really did have to wrestle, it would be more and more inventive reasons not to, or maybe even a muscle to stop it from happening. Just like blatant in your face no she isn't talented but she's got smart ways of winning and getting wins and she keeps sneaking up wins and eventually she'll climb the ladder to like a championship opportunity via that rather than being the best which is me perfectly fine for a heel character (laughs) that is perfectly fine it's it's a i was going to relate it to a nokiism but let's relate it to the divas era instead (laughs) what a sentence yeah, with um, where if every single wrestler is kind of like that, that's why like one of the main issues with the Divas era, where they wanted them all to be models. It's like, ah, oh, but there's no variety there, really. I like my variety, and that's why, for me, that's kind of why people like Beth Phoenix and Tally, yes, they're really strong wrestlers as well, but they were completely different from the other ones that were there, because it, was, it wasn't just one or two models, it was all of them. Whilst now, I think it's perfectly fine to have... At like one character <laughs> who is that yes Carmella is 
the wrestler playing a model, but if you really play up, this is what I really liked about the SmackDown run, if you really play up that it's a model playing a wrestler and you feed into that, or oh, you can get some heat from the fans. Not sure how it will play in the Thunderdome era with no fans, but with a crowd there, you can create fire with that. And uh, yeah, pissing off the fans is a major part <laughs> of it. By pissing off, I mean like those live in attendance, getting them to boo her. I feel like the Eva Marie character was going somewhere great. And I, I can't remember what happened now. I want, to, I want to say like her own demons got in the way, but I generally can't remember. It's quite irritating. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm mixing stories together. All I remember, she went. She then ended up doing some acting stuff, and I want to say continued modelling. And now he's back, and a lot of the discourse seems to be around the recent releases. I look at it and go, "It's not even Marie's fault, is it?" Obviously, I guess a lot of the critique is WWE themselves releasing a load of talented wrestlers, and then bringing in Eva Marie, whose gimmick is not talented wrestler. <laughs> that's not me saying Eva Marie is an untalented wrestler. What I'm saying is that's the gimmick that she had. And I feel like this could be that strapped in with the evolution gimmick. And that's the other thing. It's calling it the evolution as well. Like, oh, going for it. Vince is going to bloody get his evolution gimmick. <laughs> He's going to die trying. <laughs> Attempt number who knows at this point. Uh, was, that, was Carmella not it? I've described it in my notes as it's like it's, this time it's model first, wrestler second, rather than the other way round, which is what I, how I would describe the Carmella gimmick, where that's wrestler first, pl wrestler playing the character of a model, whilst this is, no, if you have them do model first, wrestler second, then you can really get some heat <laughs> of it. And uh, will that be the remedy for success, success with the evolution gimmick? We'll find out, because it's the same thing with Emma as well, where she was like, wrestler, serious wrestler first, and then it was doing a model character, like doing model work, whilst, nah, but if you get somebody... Who can be play that character of model first wrestler second? I feel like that could be the kind of turn that works in specifically in this era, where most of the women are not that they are not that uh, not the model turned wrestler, which in the divas era was most of them. Now, as far as I know, there isn't anyone really playing that kind of role, and I feel like Eve Marie could feel that. Especially if she's like touting up her own successes. I'm fantastic. I'm going to help people be like me because I'm amazing. Because I am really a role model. I've lived a fantastic life. She's got the riches. She's finding multiple, like, how do you sit on top of a Ferrari? N that's not it. No. What about sideways lounging? Oh, this is not comfortable. <laughs> it's just multiple ways to how do you sit on top of a car. She seemingly never found it and then just stood on top of it. <laughs> like, that seems good enough. But. Uh, kind of showing off the riches and the, I'm a great success. But if you wrap that into the character that she had before on SmackDown, and just that that character has gone off and got success and then come back. Personally, you, you're in the possibility of getting some fantastic heat if you play it correctly. The only issue, for me the main issue, is I don't trust modern day WWE to have the consistency to follow that through after like week after week. So I feel like it's a character that really does need that consistency week after week, and you have a direction for it, or you have your points where you mostly know where you want it to go. A character like this, without that, then you're just doing stuff week to week, and you can, I don't know if it would work quite as well. And that's how WWE book. So that is my main critique. <laughs> is it's got nothing to do with the wrestler herself, got nothing to do really with the gimmick itself. It's just that I don't trust, especially Monday Night Raw WWE, 
I do not trust them <laughs> to handle this <laughs> with the, the consistency. Because the main thing is, uh, consistency and continuity are almost they're not they're not all week to week. So when you're watching more, it's some of it is, some of it isn't. So oh, that's a little bit irritating. Ah, ah. But that's my take on the Eve Marie thing. And I'm assuming a lot is is either the worst thing ever or the best thing ever because of the internet and that's how it works. For me, it's like no, I genuinely liked how that character was really, really good at making you just really boo it. <laughs> I, was really looking, I was looking forward to what they came up with the next week of how she's going to get out fighting this time. And obviously, as you're doing it, she gets closer and closer to actually fighting. But at some point, she actually does have to. And you're building up to that. Do you do this here, where she can use her success outside of WWE to kind of push it a bit? I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it's, it's because I felt I was quite sad when the character got interrupted because I felt like it could could, could have gone somewhere fantastic, even if it was never like the main event of an awesome th- or show or anything. But if you Build, you could get a solid character out of this, I reckon. I reckon. I reckon you get a solid, entertaining character. Uh, especially one that would split Twitter where, again, the character is... She's not that good a wrestler. If that's your character, th- then you're going to get a lot of... <laughs> I think part of it was um, when she went to NXT and it was so blatant, she was like a step behind and they, they incorporated it. And I feel like that's the best way... If you're going to mould like a wrestler in that vein in a modern day, again, the model turned wrestler, you're going to wrap it around, incorporate it, yeah. And put that fully into the character. Yeah. I've got no <laughs> no, no negatives, really, because they took, took what they had and they moulded it pretty well. That's how I think the Avery movie character is. And if they do, if they just continue what they were doing in 2016 uh, with this kind of heightened like sense of self-success and importance, just put that in there as well, You've got a remedy for success. As long as you've then got the issue Monday Night Raw currently has of the continuity of the week to week of keeping it going, having somewhere to go, which is my main issue with the Alexa Bliss stuff, <laughs> with the whole Fiend thing, is have somewhere you're going with it. Don't then don't be like, well, where are we going with this? Oh, we'll figure it out eventually. Before you start putting it on telly, <laughs> figure it out. Uh, anyway, that's my take on the Eva Marie stuff. It seemed to be the most talked about thing, so I was like, oh, I'm going to have to really talk about it. And everything else on the show, uh, I guess, mediocre. Because, may the fourth be with you, this Raw wasn't as crap, but it was crap. Uh, it was, yes, it's, uh, yeah, it was It was fine, I guess. it. I guess because it's wonky, it's quite difficult to describe. I thought the first hour started off fully mediocre for me. As in, there was some decent stuff in there, and there was some, eh, I don't know, second hour felt like they were starting to, it's a weird where I felt like it lost a lot of its momentum. It was just a load of stuff happening, but it was also featuring wrestlers they don't normally feature. So I was like, oh, so it's a positive wrapped in a negative, <laughs> I guess. And then the uh, final uh, third hour kind of built to the main event relatively well, and the main event was big boys doing big boy things. So I guess... Every week, if even if these shows, on the whole, I've not enjoyed, the, the main events have been solid. It's just that, the actual, as in the actual wrestling in those main events, it's just that with the Universal, not the Universal Smackdown, with the WWE Championship match itself, they're not really doing that great a job of making me care. And I feel like not having T-Bar and Mace on the show this week was an absolutely massive positive. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to that later. Because what started off the show 
was a... Yes, it was a rematch, but the champs are back in town. It's AJ Styles and Omos versus The New Day, kicking off with the Raw Tag Team Championships on the line. And there were two titles on the line tonight on this show. Uh, didn't, didn't really feel like it. <laughs> this one probably a bit more. Uh, getting rematch out of the way. This is, uh, rematches in WWE for me are only funny because of WWE themselves edicting no more rematches before collapsing under the pressure into a constant stream of them. <laughs> the Monday Night Raw is seemingly just repeat after repeat in a lot of occasions. Well, it's the same people interacting with each other with not that much variety. And I'll get to that later as well in terms of, oh, actually featuring variety. But yeah, so that's why I kind of find it funny with the having a WrestleMania rematch after edicting not that long ago that he won't be doing rematches anymore. And like even just like half a year ago, which if I'm right, wasn't even a year since the edict. <laughs> half a year ago, Raw was just like seemingly the same thing week after week somehow. <laughs> it's like, how are you moving these stories forward? But the show itself just feels the same. <laughs> how are you doing that? That's incredible. Um, I think part of it is like with a match like this, yes, Omos and AJ Styles haven't been on Monday Night Raw for like a few weeks ever since WrestleMania. But on the build-up to WrestleMania, we're seeing these teams interact every single week. It's like Benjamin and Alexander late in the show facing the Lucha House Party. Yes, we hadn't seen that specific pairing in a little while, but when the Hurt Business guys were tag champs, we saw it a lot. <laughs> and so when it comes back again, it's like, it's not been that long since we were seeing this all the time. It still feels pretty fresh in my head. So it feels like a repeat of something we've already seen. Even though, it's technically different. That's <laughs> what we've seen recently. Uh, but yeah, so the pattern of this tag team match uh, itself was at least different from WrestleMania. Like Omos tagging in earlier to say hello. Uh, before then getting another tag later on. Going on his big boy rampage of bigness. <laughs> a phenomenal forearm off the big shoulders for the win. A decent showing for the new champs. Like keeping them, making them look strong. But the question is for me, like... Will they now move move on to new contenders? Not New Day contenders. <laughs> Will they move on to New Day contenders? Or rematches? Yay! <laughs> More rematches. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of the two. Because they weren't there for weeks. Three weeks, was it? And they're back here now. And they immediately go to a rematch from WrestleMania. So, hmm, what are you, are you building to anything? Do you generally not know what you're doing with them? Uh, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, the tag team champions are back, and I do, I still do really like their dynamic. I thought I'd, be, I wasn't sure when they were building it up to WrestleMania if I generally would like it, but I feel like Emos is really impressed, and him with AJ is becoming like a lovable duo. It's not gonna be, not they cannot stay babyfaces for long. The only thing I think they'll keep them babyface, sorry, they cannot stay heels for long because they're just seemingly organically <laughs> becoming babyfaces. But I think the thing that can generally help with that is that they. Uh, there is no crowd, so you you can and it's essentially a studio button press to make them cheer. <laughs> so it's not the same as a live audience at Thunderdome, as impressive as it looks. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so we got one of my favourite segments next because of the ridiculousness of it. So I want to make a quick note of it because we're then going to move on to Charlotte Flair. But Elias and Riker, some, getting revenge for last week, somehow aiming and throwing tomatoes and not seeing a stud right in front of them, <laughs> Randy Orton, instead of their New Day targets. And I'm just like, oh, that's an impressive level of off-camera physics and blindness. <laughs> off-camera, therefore, 
yeah, they, they couldn't see them because we couldn't see them. But then when the camera pans round, it's like you were looking at him as he threw it at them. How? <laughs> How could you not notice? And like, and I was going, oh, stop throwing! Or oh, you may not have noticed, but he threw them. Like, how he looked and he aimed and he threw. <laughs> how? <laughs> An impressive level. Impressive level. Uh, we'll come back to that later. But Charlotte Flair versus Dana Brooke was up next. And uh, speaking of physics, what a counter! <laughs> uh, I jest as like for me, the rest of the match was all right. It was fine. Yeah, but the way WWE covered that. Old Muto-esque handspring <laughs> really did get me. If you don't know what I'm about, do Google or YouTube it. I can't remember where it is. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Great Muta did that handspring and he made it his own. But now he's old and when he tries, sometimes doesn't get the strength and just kind of flops about a bit. Goes, ah, This <laughs> is really funny. Uh, but it's still got over the chop enough because uh, Danny Brooks doing the handspring. The plan was Charlotte Flair to then chop her. But it's just really badly timed, I guess. <laughs> so, so Danny Brooks is... Hopping, doing a nothing, really. As Charlotte Flair goes to chop the leg. It's like, that look weird. And then WWE themselves tweet it out, going, what a counter. It's like, why have you tweeted out this a seemingly mistiming? <laughs> Put it out there, it's like, that's weird. Uh, anyway, I got the chop over enough still, though, for to set up the figure eight submission victory. And uh, after the match, Mandy Rose delivered a knee to stop the last keeping on the hold. Uh, because she be the heel, are. Uh, massive, massive positive in having Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke having a segment that didn't involve Nia Jax at all. No interaction whatsoever. Massive positive after just the blare of the past few weeks. It's not even feature at all. Massive positive. But I've got a bit, little bit of a moan here where technically I don't mind what they're setting up. I don't mind the idea of Charlotte Flair getting somebody in authority to shove her into the title match at WrestleMania Backlash. I don't mind that idea. For me, that fits Charlotte Flair absolutely perfectly, especially in establishing her as a heel and having commentary out... Oh, essentially just paint the picture outright that people do not want her in that match. But then you get punishment shoving her in. Personally, I quite like that. What I don't like is her and DeVille, who were seemingly on some form of page last week. This week, Charlotte Flair's like, you better put me in this match... Like, weirdly, there's, yeah, like, demanding Flair's inclusion in the tag team match. Like, it's, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> that animosity wasn't there last week, but it's here now. Uh, I'll judge it next week, because that's week three. Did they like there being the animosity or not? So that, that means from week to week, or last week, they didn't know what they actually wanted DeVille and Flair's relationship to be. Again, personally, putting it on telly, at least think to the pay-per-view <laughs> you're writing for. Like, at least think that far ahead. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's a little bit, little bit irritating. <laughs> it's just, just like nothing, uh, not not nothing, but a lot asking of your time of investment where they've not planned it out and don't know where they're going with it. It's like, oh, it'll be fun, that'll be a fun little journey. Yeah, but if you do that with, well, like um, when Alexa Bliss was talking about the Fiend story and the reason she was enduring it because they had no idea where it was going and that they were make they were, like every week was something new. They come up with something and it was really kind of a joy to not know where something was going, but kind of making it up week to week and really enjoying that. Personally, that it, for me, it's not a nothing should ever be written like that. But if everything is written like that, or the majority of your show, then it's a problem. <laughs> it's just, you can, not every single segment has, has to be that planned out. But when most of them aren't that planned out, uh, the show kind of feels a bit pointless. Feels a bit unnecessary. 
Anyway, so Sonny Deville was out in uh, to lead into an ad break to announce Flair's inclusion in the Raw Women's uh, match, and a weird WWE trope was shown there because like they cleared the ring for a talky bit, they went to break, and then it's Sonny Deville and Charlotte Flair. Immediately, what hit me when that there were there were others out there in the ring after the match. And like Charlotte Flair's won, yeah, but Mandy Rose has just knocked Charlotte Flair down. Out comes Sonny Deville to give a statement. He cuts to ad break. Then it's just her and Charlotte in the ring. What about the action that we just saw? <laughs> Mandy Rose knocking her down, knocking Charlotte Flair out down to the ring. What happened there? They're just gone, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, when we come back. It's, it's a weird thing where they are shifting over. However, Mandy Rose was like right there, having just knocked down Charlotte Flair, having. Deville add flair to the match right in front of Rose. And me, for me, just surely just jumps out right at you. <laughs> She's come out with Mandy Rose in the ring, having knocked Charlotte Flair down. We come back, it's Deville and Flair, like Rose and Brooke, pff, gone. gone. <laughs> but immediately, that's when it goes, ah, uh, yeah, what I was just moaning about anyway, like, I'm thinking too hard on this. I'm looking at it as if those in the women's tag team scene are actually regarded as characters of note within the writing process. Because if they were regarded as characters of note, you'd probably think that where they, they keep intact like that character's relationships with the other characters. But it's the other part as well. When I say characters of note, what I mean in a kind of in a different way is in WWE Oh, don't say, I say WWE, I've got to keep going back on myself because SmackDown isn't like this, it's just raw. <laughs> it's so strange, oh, are they the same company? SmackDown was brilliant this past week, I really enjoyed it. But the points on Raw, the plot points are kind of, they're not driven by character. What happens is driven by plot. The reason Sonny Deville comes out is nothing to do with Mandy Rose, it's because they have to add Charlotte Flair into the match. After the break, that's what she does, that brings out Asuka, that brings out Ray Ripley. However, the Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke thing, that's got absolutely nothing to do with it because none of these actions are driven by character. It's purely the plot point to get to the next thing. In, act in a world with actions driven by character, Sonny Deville, in there, in her head, because of what happened all the way back at SummerSlam, <laughs> Sonny Deville, you know, wouldn't see it as worst thing in the world to, in front of Mandy Rose, add somebody else to a title match or even just, like, the person that she just bested in a little tiffle. Like, yeah. That, that works as character. And they'd set it up. And for me, he just jumped right out at me when they came back from the ad break. It's like, but Rose just won the fight and they're gone. <laughs> and it's her former tag team partner, former rival, that is adding Charlotte Flair to it. But again, it's not a world driven by characters. Therefore, why does any of the character stuff matter? <laughs> it's, it's kind of my case in point. If none of the character stuff has any influence in the world, then why does any of it matter? Why do any of the character things? if none of it has any influence on what happens. Yeah, so yeah. It's seemingly mainly currently a problem in the women's division, so I don't know... I mean, and the actually the two main triple threats have both had that same problem. I feel like this week was the men's fixing it a little bit, because the past like three weeks have been pretty bad. <laughs> but this week was a lot more, I guess, low-key things happening. I think that helps. Maybe because they've, they've just done their plot points, they've set it up. And that may be a thing now that the triple threat is set up. Do we see a little bit more solidity in it? I guess one part that really does need fixing is Ray Ripley. And I saw a report that she's like going to acting classes to get her confidence up with her acting. Where it's like, she's been through the NXT system. 
and I'm pretty certain they a both they addressed that, and b by the time she left NXT, she seemed fine. For me, yes, her delivery feels really wooden, but the dialogue given to her is just as fitting. As in, they the words in there that what's being said could be given to any character whatsoever. No unique quirks at all. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing in there is unique to Ray Ripley at all. As in, they do not know what her character is. There is nothing. She comes out, they know she's the champion, and they know she's kind of like a heel, kind of badassy person uh, who's got that confidence, so they put that in there. But there's nothing else. Like, the script has no unique character to it. What's, like, there isn't anything. And for me, I feel like her championship reign is doomed purely because of that. As in, the when she comes out and she gives her promos... There is nothing unique in them whatsoever. And it's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> because, again, we saw her in NXT. We saw how Charlotte she was. She comes to Raw. Generic lines delivered a bit woodenly. But they're not written for her character. Main, main point being, she doesn't have one. <laughs> she came, She was Plan D or E for WrestleMania. Came, she debuted. She had a match with Asuka. She won. In, we're now in a... Well, now what? Because the plan was Charlotte Flair to defeat Lacey Evans. Do you just have Charlotte Flair win? Uh, it screams it. But personally, this Charlotte Flair character, I feel like, needs to have at least one loss beforehand. As in, kind of push her over the edge a little bit more so she does more and more desperate things to keep getting title matches. For me, that's what you do. You keep doing it. <laughs> you keep doing it. Uh, yeah, it's a... It's a shame, really, yeah. Compared to Asuka, who's out in pure quirk, <laughs> as in uh, nothing but pure Asuka quirk lines, as we got to that point where just delivering them in the exact tone of, like, shouting this is bullcrap in the Asuka way, uh, breaking, the, everything then breaking down into a kerfuffle, just officially establishing what they set up last week. Because last week it was, for me, pretty blatant that we were going into this triple threat, and this was just, you know, officially making it a thing. They set it up last week, they just make it official here. and But they did it with kind of like wooden dialogue for Ripley. Asuka comes out and bees Asuka. <laughs> but it falls down into a, a, beat, a breakdown. I guess it's fine. It's fine. And that's the best way to put it. It's not really made me any more interested in anything. And it's, it's for me, like surely, did, I know Vince doesn't watch NXT, but do the writers watch NXT? In terms of like Ray Ripley's character, are they just as blind to what she is again because her it's been the case ever since she debuted that all of her lines could be said by absolutely anybody and uh, this is, this has not been the thing that's unique to her i remember talking about this at least like a couple if not a few years ago i remember kevin owens having been given very similar lines it's just like there is nothing unique about this i can't remember the feud <laughs> but it's just absolutely nothing unique about it it's like it's a shame it's a shame Anyway, later on, Pierce confronted Deville about making decisions without him. And my God, every one of these segments backstage with Pierce and Sonny Deville on this week's show, every one of them ended in awkward starings as the script had finished. But then they just lingered just a little bit too long before cutting away like, an, like a Japanese role-playing game. <laughs> it's just like, uh, I don't like you. I don't like you either. Okay. And now we're live in the Thunderdome. <laughs> it's just like, as in, you wait and you wait until you're at that point where you can see it on their faces where they're waiting. And they're waiting. 
and they're waiting and eventually you can see the look on the faces of well what now what now do i do something do i do something then do i do i that keeps going okay okay <laughs> that's why i feel like we're at um yeah it's it made me laugh it's a really weird trope <laughs> and i don't think this is like super new this week i feel like the backstage segments have felt rough for a little while Apart, the interview viewing is relatively fine, but it's when they do these kind of ones where it's just a little bit off. And for me, that's a sign of not planning it out. You've kind of rehearsed it a couple of times and bam, done it. But that means it's just a little bit awkward. It's a little bit strange. Anyway, uh, Carrillo then backstage stating he'll be answering all of Sheamus' open challenges. Uh, so the champion then arrives to clobber him down. <laughs> like, chin up, there's always next week. <laughs> he'll pay for that with Sheamus. And uh, John Morrison versus Damien Priest was up next because, I mean, there was no other conceivable way around this feud fence. <laughs> like, how else? Continue Miz versus Priest to backlash. How? How else does it continue? Obviously, he has to now face John Morrison. Uh, and next week, he'll be against it again against those two. Maybe even John Morrison again. We've already seen the handicap match. We've already seen singles against the Miz with Maurice there. This time, it's Morrison with Miz. Uh, a backlash it's surely Miz with Morrison unless again you do you do Morrison without Miz oh, that doesn't make any sense because yeah <laughs> he beat him with Miz why we want to see Morrison beat Priest without Miz I don't know you need something to keep it going uh, maybe Miz TV next week who knows yeah I think next week is a go home though so it's not too bad it's not too bad uh, yeah they're keeping it going when I don't know why David Priest as a character would care after winning at Wrestlemania he seems to be a bit more of the instigator. So, but why would he care? He won. Would he not want to move on? And they've not really given me a reason why he hasn't moved on, other than on Miz and Morrison are annoying him. Yeah, but he was the one who instigated it. What? I don't know. I still don't know why he instigated it in the first place. Uh, anyway, moaning out the way, John Morrison is seriously good at making the big boys look great, uh, giving young old Damien a strong win in countering the heel cheekiness. And uh, yeah, Priest won in the end. Uh, getting the best of the Miz from uh, trying his inside stuff, clapping John Morrison and nailing hit the lights. Yeah, Priest is continuing to look strong. We'll wait until Backlash. That's my worry. Do they prolong it even further by having the Miz win in a cheeky fashion? And then Priest wants to get it uh, again. It's like, uh, this, this feels like the aftermath. Which, personally, Backlash in history kind of has been, and I've been fine with that being its slot. Uh, but I worry about modern-day WWE, just because... I feel like in the past, they've got, okay, this backlash, and they were going to have to start kicking into gear to go into our story over the summer. However, I don't think there is one. <laughs> That's why watching Raw here, and watching how the stories are being told, and what we're getting like week to week, and the styles being presented to us, I don't believe they've got anything planned for the summer for Raw. Maybe they do for SmackDown. The stuff that's happening over there feels like it's got such direction. It doesn't, doesn't mean it does have it, but it, when I'm watching the show, it feels like it does. Compared to Raw, where it feels like it is week to week, maybe we've got some idea where we maybe like to end up, but we don't really know where we're taking things. Or we've got the pay-per-view match, we've at least got that destination to build to. But it's still technically like week to week of what's happening each time. That's, it just screams that. So that's my main worry of Backlash, is in history when it was used as that aftermath for WrestleMania, and it was decent, did a decent job of just carrying the momentum a little bit before then kicking into the summer feud. Or building to the pay-per-view that then kicked into it. Yeah, my my main fear, watching how Raw is, is that uh, 
they haven't got anything. And when they haven't got anything, they retribution us. <laughs> they throw something at the wall as this, to make it like a, feel like a big thing that they can carry on. And it's like, uh, that was like, you know, raw underground, random idea, thrown at the wall, let's see what sticks. And yes, it was in a very different time last year, but that's kind of like the circumstances you get into is when you don't have that long-term storyline, but you still really want to create that aura of a, of a really big thing that can be drawn out over months and you can build to a big pay-per-view payoff. If you want to create that aura, but you've got no plans, we get stuff like Retribution. So, ooh, <laughs> that, I'm worried. <laughs> what are they going to do this year? <laughs> what are they going to do? Uh, might not be that bad. Might not be that bad. Anyway, uh, yeah, we then got uh, an, an interesting little note over the course of this show. Kayla, in the interview ring, first earlier in the show, interviewed Bobby Lashley and MVP on the main event on the title match at WrestleMania Backlash on Strowman, Andre McIntyre. Cool. MVP got over his life. Felt really cool. Bobby Lashley looked like a million bucks with his title, with his suit. Then later in the show, at this point, like two or three matches have been at this point, then we got MVP by himself interviewed by Kayla. It's like, but all the points he's making here, he's just made them. <laughs> he made them already with Bobby Lashley when he was there. It's like, hmm, this feels weird. This feels a bit odd. We've already seen MVP talking to Kayla when he was with Bobby Lashley. Why are we seeing him now? It didn't really feel like there was any reason for the interview to exist. Which then, when the next match happened and how the rest of this hour went, I was a little bit worried. It's like, oh, this somehow feels like filler. <laughs> it's just like, hmm, why is this on the show in this manner? As in, maybe it wasn't filler, but the way it was presented felt like it was kind of just thrown out there to happen. It's like, oh, fine. Oh, as in, it felt like a show that was either written as it was aired, or it was just, they suddenly realised, don't have enough, let's put this second hour together somehow. It's like, oh, so, so it fell off. The second hour definitely fell off. It had took a massive momentum dive. But it's, again, this is why it felt weird to me. It took a massive momentum dive, but in doing so, featured wrestlers we don't normally see. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't even know how to review or write this because it's <laughs> because I don't care about what I'm seeing. I don't have a lot of investment in what I'm seeing because they don't normally feature these characters, but the way that they've put these segments forward feels very kind of sudden and upon us. <laughs> As in, you're just writing it very close to Showtime or something like that. Or he changed something, or he suddenly realised, oh, we need something to fill. It was strange. <laughs> it was strange because of that. But then some characters who weren't being featured then got direction. And I'm like, this is such a weird hour. <laughs> How do I judge this? <laughs> At the time, watching the match, it felt like filler. Afterwards, it felt like it was there for a reason. I, um, my, <laughs> my brain really struggled <laughs> to kind of like properly judge that. Um, I mean, the follow-up is, will they be featured next week? Will we get Gaza next week? Will we get Cedric Alexander next week? That, for me, will be the story. As it, for, for, I say the story, that will kind of tell me, was this filler or not? Because we've got direction for stuff. Anyway, from a second MVP interview into Lucha House Party versus Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, again, from that weird second interview for MVP, into this match where... They were in the arena, like a tag match with no fans in the Thunderdome era was underway as we returned from break. No entrances. <laughs> as in, again, just screamed. Why, why do I want to care about this? Like, neither of these tag teams have been featured on this show. Suddenly, they're in the middle of a match when we return. How am I meant to see this as anything other but filler, unless it gets interrupted and unless it goes to something else? 
it's, it's really weird. <laughs> I mean, they all put on a decent showing. A Lucha House Party grabbing the win, but it screamed that it didn't mean anything. Uh, afterwards, though, the real reason for the segment reared its head. It's like, such a weird one to review. Watching the match, my feeling was filler. Afterwards, there was a tag team split. <laughs> and that's why it's in my head a bit. Uh, yes, uh, so Cedric having enough of Shelton. He was the reason they were kicked out of the Hurt Business. And just like you, this team is done. Shout out to Cedric. And yeah, I felt like he delivered a, a strong promo there, Alexander. He had a lot of fire in him. And he did in the Hurt Business. Like it's, it's still like, it screams still. They I don't know why they broke them up. Aside from they wanted to really focus on Bobby Lashley, but they had no plans for the rest of the Hurt Business. And you can have them just be in the background a bit. I am saying that as a New Japan fan. <laughs> as in everybody is in a faction in New Japan. But what happens is when the main champion is the main focus, is that you focus on the main champion and the others kind of go into the background whilst you're focusing on the champion. Don't need to split them up. It's fine. They don't have to interfere in the match because they're baddies. It's fine. <laughs> or maybe it's just it, tropes are so likely that if you break them up, you can't use the tropes. I don't know. Maybe it's a self-preservation thing. <laughs> uh, yes, another tag team broken up. Fingers crossed they have a plan for this one, or... Nah. <laughs> I don't... I can't judge it anymore. I'm at that point where I can't make any kind of call on it. It's like, oh, what do you think about the Hurt Business split? I don't know. I've got no idea if they've got any plans or not. Because half the time they do, half the time... Or, or at least they know we're breaking them up because we're going to be pushing one of them. Or they've got nothing, like the Iconics, to split them up. Why? That's a good segment, wasn't it? But you know what? Nothing planned. <laughs> Surely this is something to kickstart something. Uh, yeah. Anyway, after that, we then got Andrew Garza versus Drew Gulak. Two more guys who just haven't been featured on the show. Uh, Garza with a big CGI rose and 8K camera entrance against Gulak's no entrance. <laughs> and like, oh, do they care about Garza again? <laughs> he got a lot of effort in his presentation. Uh, the match set up before the break as Drew took the piss out of Loverboy not actually scoring. So Angel told him he'd beat him up and shove the rose he was carrying up his ass. A face on Gulak going, that's a bit odd. I mean, I'll fight you in a wrestle though. <laughs> so uh, Garza in the match itself with an immediate run of aggression. I really like this. Beating the lad up quickly and into the wing clipper. Just sustained aggression. Gulak fought back a bit as far as I remember, but sustained aggression from Garza into the wing clipper. And then followed through with his word. <laughs> as he does indeed put the rose down his opponent's trunks before kicking him up the bum-bum. <laughs> uh, obviously as well, don't worry. If you... Don't, don't worry. We got a full recap of this after the break. Just every every beat of it. Just, oh, hello. Hooray. <laughs> Trope of days gone by that makes no sense in the current internet age. <laughs> don't need to recap it like that in case you missed it in the modern day age. It's not a trope that's necessary. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, again... If Garza's featured next week, I will look back on this more highly. It's just that because he hasn't, and because Raw feels so booked week to week, I'm going to have to leave it a week. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave it. In this hour, after MVP suddenly get a second interview, after a tag team match that had no entrances, I was just underway when we came back with teams that aren't really featured, then they did a tag team split, to then into this match where they did the setup right before the match, and then, again, featuring two guys don't normally see. 
And it was a it was a show where seemingly every single match apart from the main event was set up on the show. <laughs> it's like, did you have a card? It's like the complete opposite of when I'm watching AW Dynamite and in advance they're announcing these cards. It's never a circumstance that is set up on the show. But in WWE, if when you do have these authority th- figures, you need to give them a reason for existing. Or, in this case, you have two wrestlers going, well, why don't we have a match? Okay, then. <laughs> then they go out and have a match. I'm going to fight you. All right, let's do a fight. Okay. Ding, ding. <laughs> I had no idea where I was going with that bit. Uh, RK Bro versus Elias and Jackson Riker. Elias and Riker rightfully paying for not being able to see off-camera objects, <laughs> as I said earlier. It, it defies physics. <laughs> Honestly, um, RK Bro felt like a highlight in a weird feeling second hour. The two once again working well with nailing the floating bro after an autumn rope draped DDT. Not much else to note, a solid second showing from the team I'm pleasantly surprised to be enjoying. RK Bro, two weeks, still enjoying it. Thumbs up. In a, in a second hour, which was a bit wobbly, and I'm just questioning, oh, is any of this going to matter next week? But this was a follow-on from next week, which I'm still enjoying. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Drew McIntyre in the interview ring to set up him appearing at ringside in the main event. A highlight of it being him calling T-Bar T-Bag. I think MVP is the only person that's been allowed to do that so far. Uh, yes, because it, it's a naughty, it's a naughty one. <laughs> uh, he rips into those two's nonsense for being nonsense. Uh, seemingly having the man bring up the criticisms of T-Bar Mason's uh, presentation front and centre. I mean, like, yeah. Because it's screamed made-up-on-the-fly nonsense since WrestleMania. <laughs> so now you can hindsight book. I've said in the past, WWE are normally quite good at hindsight booking when they decide to do it. Um, but then they then repeat the problem. They then go over weeks of making it up so that they then have to hindsight book to make it make sense. <laughs> Sometimes it works better than others. But they've, normally they're pretty decent with it. This felt like another one of the decent ones where you have Drew McIntyre call them out for all that nonsense. So it, to me, the viewer, feels like you're addressing the nonsense. Uh, we'll see if that has any effects on their presentation <laughs> when they next show up, whenever that is. Uh, I'll get to Drew McIntyre's announcement match later. But now we've got Sheamus versus Mansoor. An interesting debut here. I wasn't as down on this as I saw others because Mansoor lost in the DQ. But I feel like, again, what we see then next will make me decide, as in, are you making this up to week? week to week, or if you've got a plan here, and this is like phase one of for Mansell, where he was with Pierce, signing with Raw earlier in the night, the man for me, who is genuinely the shining light in the shit of the Saudi Arabia deal, uh, he's been a great get for NXT, when he showed up, he's just, yeah, he has, he felt like he's got a lot of promise, like generally, no, no, yeah, and he's got humour chops, he's got serious chops, like, it's, yeah, he could be really good in WWE, to have those two specifically, just, you know, don't be too funny in front of Vince, and then he'll just be pure comedy. Uh, anyway, Shane was advising for a Wii challenge. Uh, Mansoor then quipping, I know you said things like change around here, but I didn't expect it to be so quick. <laughs> my immediate reaction was just, oh, yeah, mate, yeah, week to week continuity is dead. <laughs> it's just my immediate reaction uh, to his quippy little statement. Anyway, Seamus continuing to help the up-and-coming generation by beating the tar out of him. Uh, the man kept fighting back in Mansoor, having, like, even landing a cut on the Irish champion, he left him a scar, uh, but in spite of his fight, he lost by DQ because of an interfering Carrillo. Both he and the interferer then ate bro kicks in the end. Uh, yeah, again, at least Raw is featuring folks 
it's featured like new folks this time. Like I think I count that as an improvement over it feeling the same with the same people. Oh, we're getting we've got Kavir the past few weeks. We're getting here. We got Mansoor. We got Angel Garza, Drew Gulak, and then we're, of course we've got a tag team match of guys that hadn't been featured in a while. Like yeah, we got different acts on here, but because there isn't you ha- haven't been featured, there isn't much investment, so it feels much lower momentum-wise before we then kick into the final hour with acts that we do know, like Alexa Bliss, like the Women's Tag Team Championship, like the main event. Uh, that doesn't mean these segments are good. It just means these are characters that have been featured. We're aware of them. <laughs> they are in this final hour. Uh, yeah. I I can't really make that big a judgment on Mansoor before I know what they're doing next week. Again, it just I, the rest of the show just screams... They're making it up week to week. But this kind of setup feels like they know where they're going with it. And the whole Sheamus thing kind of has. Like they know they're building to backlash just something. I can take that. For me, the reason I don't have that big an issue with it is because if Mansoor takes this and shows aggression towards Carrillo, that, that can work. If he takes aggression and is like, well, I had you before he showed up in anger, then you can have him show aggression at Sheamus. Like there's roots to go here. And I thought his actual like entrance presentation where he carried himself, he looked great. Yeah. Massive thumbs up for Mansoor. Just let's just hope it's not another case of a guy, I guess, like Mustafa Ali, who puts in gold when he is in that ring, but it doesn't matter. Like that's that's my worry. That said, that man is from the Saudi. He came over as part of like the trainees when the Saudi Arabia deal was announced. There's monetary weight <laughs> to his being in WWE, so that might really help his chances. What also helps his chances is he's solid. I, I really I think a lot of him as in I think highly of him not that he's in my dreams <laughs> so I'm uh, anyway Alexa Bliss story time with Lily hitting pretty similar notes to before uh, this time hinting at Lily finding someone to focus uh, Bliss on uh, this is yeah, for me this week was the transition to taking her gimmick to the women's division that, that was starting to take its form uh, I guess her going is this all a dream Lily what did you make me do? Like that's intriguing. If they know, if they're, if they're knowingly going somewhere with it, which we know, like for the rest of this arc, was like never a thing at any point. <laughs> so I'll hold off my investment. Have they turned a corner, or are they still doing? Or oh, that'll be an interesting thing to say. That'll be intriguing. But there's no <laughs> plan or anything. <laughs> we'll wait and see. Anyway, women's tag team championship: Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax versus Lana and Naomi. After losing a six-woman tag last week in spite of interference, we have ourselves a tag title match. <laughs> Case in point that wins and losses mean absolutely nothing. A uh, match seemingly that started in the third act. Something that screams that they don't have much time for your... You start the match immediately into your final act, let's go home. <laughs> it's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, giving the feeling of time filler for like the second or third time in this night. Like, that is... Bloody hell, <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> How do you even achieve that? Well, uh, well done. Yeah, solid enough as there was like no downtime, but this felt like it purely existed to get the champs on telly in spite of having nothing for them. And the fact it was a championship match as well, it's just like, well, I don't think you're doing this so you can then move past Lara and Naomi. I, d- I don't know why it's a tag title match. <laughs> Got no idea. No idea. Yeah, none at all. Anyway, it was, it was a it's a women's tag team scenario, and it's what I mean by it screams. It's the women's division. It's having a lot of the main like issues. It's just that 
yeah, if screams that wins and losses don't matter, so I don't care about any of the things that happen in the division. And this was a somehow they got a more women's tag title match in spite of losing. <laughs> well, how do they earn them? Although they deserve it. Well, but what do they do? <laughs> I don't quite know. Uh, anyway, moving on to the main event, and I'm so happy to be done with this more because it, again, it was fine. Like. I feel like that's better than absolutely awful. It didn't damage anything, but I didn't get anything from it. It didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Rather than actively make me hate wrestling, it was just flat. So that's an improvement. It's still not good. I'd still call it, count it in part of Raw's kind of crap run. It was just a very flat show. And I guess the main event was the hottest it got. But yeah, for me, it never got hot, this show. But then it never fell into the drudges as hell, as I, as I do feel like the past three, four weeks did. I remember like the build to WrestleMania as well. I was like, well, maybe after WrestleMania, that'll kick it up the arse. That'll give it that other gear, refresh us into a new era, we'll go. And it seemed to just fall further. And the past three weeks were awful. This week, I didn't think was awful. I just thought it was flat and momentumless. <laughs> so, uh, I guess that's an improvement. <laughs> if you're going to take positives away from it. It went from, I, this is making me dislike wrestling, to it was flat and momentumless. <laughs> anyway, the main event, Bobbity Lashes versus Big Braun Strawman. And uh, rawr, big boys are plenty of roaring and charging, slams, muscle tensing. Uh, but three minutes into the main event, they spent all night hyping. Drew McIntyre came out for a ringside seat in his underpants next to men in full suits. <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> You're just waiting Three minutes in, that happens, and it's like, okay, this is ending in shenanigans. Uh, and then they set up for more at the end. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, Braun is too beefy for the Hurt Lock. Oh, wrestling. <laughs> the uh, champion launching the big fella into commentator Drew. Uh, Q angry shoves and shouts, uh, lashes with the spear off that distraction for the win. Uh, then Claymore Country to send us home. Hitting the Claymore on both the champion and the challenger, Drew McIntyre, standing tall, because they then got to announce that next week is McIntyre's turn to have his match not end against Bobby Lashley. Because, uh, yeah, as in, well, the reason Braun Strowman is there is so McIntyre or Lashley doesn't have to pin the other and they can keep the feud going to the next pay-per-view. But, yeah, the Drew and Bobby aren't picking up any losses and you've booked the match for next week. Positive, though. No T-Bar or, or Mace. <laughs> I feel like that's... In terms of my feelings towards this main event, they had Strowman cut a fiery promo, they had MVP cut two fiery promos, Lashley was there for one of them, Drew McIntyre did the same, then he came out, he was on commentary, he plugged his book, but he also showed the fire, he came out, and then Drew McIntyre hit the claymore on everybody, it's like, yeah, he had momentum to end the show on, well done. Also, no T-Bar or Mace, <laughs> and they felt feel like such nothing, kind of just people to blast through. Uh, with no, they were sucking the momentum out of this main event feud, and them not being there felt like it's a massive puss. But uh, yeah, again, I'm not massively into this main event, and I feel like it's just because it screams, "Well, Lashley's going to beat Strowman." But they added nice little tidbits to it. They had like, the tidbit of Bobby Lashley being unable to put on the hurt lock on Braun Strowman because he's too big or he's too beefy. <laughs> Personally, oh, wrestling, love it. <laughs> he's just too big and strong. He can't put on his submission hold. What's he going to do? But the actual like arc and everything, it's not it's not drawn me in. And I think part of that is the T-Bar May stuff. So they can do, they can make it feel a bit better over the next two weeks by just not having their all and they just have the three of these guys uh, work around each other. 
which I feel like they are big and beefy and strong <laughs> enough to do to give excitement. But I don't really care that much. But then it's backlash as well. This is the BP for you after WrestleMania where you're keeping some of the momentum. You have some of the same people interacting. It's the aftermath of WrestleMania. And I feel like this is a strong enough match to be the aftermath of WrestleMania. But it's one where it screams, well, the reason Strowman is there so you continue Lashley versus McIntyre because they seemingly go with the three-monther for this. And that's been my main worry, Drew McIntyre. Like, he's been solid as champion, as a top guy on the show. But his feuds get that feeling of never-ending. I feel like Randy Orton created that. <laughs> and now I see what they're setting up with uh, Lashley. It's like, hmm. Going for the same thing again to a point where I'm going to get to that point where I never want to see them wrestle again. I don't like to keep variety up. Lashley can face neither of them at the next pay-per-view. Personally, that's what I do. You can have stroke, you can have McIntyre do something with somebody else just for one pay-per-view and he can even come back. You can even get him back. But that one pay-per-view where Lashley faces somebody else, it really does help create that feeling of variety. The world is a bit more lived in by everybody rather than your storyline passing ships. What was that? <laughs> That's a weird movement to signify that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, end of the show. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, for the podcast listeners, I just did a really Queen-esque, <laughs> as in the Queen, <laughs> camp, camp snake wave thing. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, that's the end of this Raw review. Another, bleh, Raw, but again, I didn't leave it hating wrestling. It was just flat and momentumless, and it, my, I got nothing from it. <laughs> my time was not well utilised watching this show. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with the NXT review. So, again, it's just Raw. But Raw damages my wrestling momentum for the rest of the week. Like, again, NXT and SmackDown. I really enjoyed last week. I really enjoyed AW as well. I say really enjoyed. NXT was a building block show, but it was, like, solid enough. But then Dynamite and SmackDown I both loved. It's just Raw. It's, it's seriously just Raw. But it's so bad <laughs> that I rarely get to watching SmackDown just because I I can't I don't want anything to do with anything that reminds me of Raw. I don't have to review it again. Like no, it's in the Thunderdome. No, I can't take it. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it. Uh, anyway, I'll be back tomorrow for the NXT review. My voice is slowly going. Uh, oh yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at the damn implicat. That's damn as in damn, and uh, on at the implications on Twitch as well. Uh, I finally tonight I broke the barrier to make affiliate on Twitch. So that's awesome. Um, now I've just got to wait for the actual numbers on the stream manager to update because they've been a little slow. <laughs> so whenever they update, I'll officially be affiliates. That's awesome. Anyway, with that, what did you make of Monday Night Raw? What did you make of Eva Marie returning to WWE and seemingly Monday Night Raw? A comment below. Or hit me up on Twitter. Yeah, there's the comments also on the Laws of Pain. Sorry, Wrestling Headlines website. It's been a year. Eventually I'll remember. <laughs> so that's adios. Tava, goodbye, good night. <laughs> I go to sleep and eat it. Right, Tava, Tava. Ten.